Shane Dye was more than just a jockey. He was a star inside and outside of racing. Everybody knew who he was. But it was on the track that he cemented his legendary status. Across three decades in the saddle, he won a Melbourne Cup, four Golden Slippers, a Ladbrokes Cox Plate, a Victoria Derby, and so much more. Well, welcome, Shane. Um, you're as well known for making headlines as you are all of your great success throughout your career. Now, we want to talk about the incredible things in your career, but I guess the first question from someone who's followed it as closely as I have, and many others would ask the same is, out of all of it, any, any regrets for the headlines that went with the success? No, when you're flamboyant and you've got an opinion, you've got to take the good and the bad. So it's no point having regrets. And uh, I just rolled the dice and went with it. And uh, no, I'm happy. I never had any regrets in life, never. One of the, uh, one of the great quotes was, it's not bragging if you back it up. Um, you, look, you weren't afraid to put it out there at any stage, were you? No, well, I'd predict, I'd actually get in jockeys' heads a little bit too, you know, um, like with the pace of the race, it'll go too fast in front if I wanted it to, the pace to be slower in a race, in a big race, and then that's in their mind, well, they can't go too fast, you know, but really it was playing to my advantage. So uh, I got into people's heads a bit. Uh, you, indeed you did, and it was an, a time of racing, and I want to compare it to today, where you were everywhere in the papers. You lived your life in the media, even though perhaps not by design or you may not have wanted it, but everything you did on and off the track was in the media. Um, I, I didn't go out there for it. It just happened, you know, that was just me. And I'm a totally different person now. I, I don't like the limelight. I don't seek it. I get asked to do many things and uh, I always knock it back and I kind of isolate myself a little bit. So. Um, I don't know whether I wanted it or not, but it just happened like that. Do you think you paid a price or have paid a price in life for being who you are? No, it's helped me. Um, I can ring up and get into a restaurant whenever I want. <laughs> Many people can't. <laughs> so overall, uh, that was good for racing, you think? The fact that you was. were such a, an outside of the square person? Yeah, they, they need one in racing bad in Australia. There's not one here. All sports have it. It doesn't matter what sport it is. But if we knock that out of people, is there too many repercussions or scrutiny if you if you dare to dance to a different beat? Well, I don't think you really have the right person. You've got James McDonald, who's a superstar, but he's not in the public's eye. And I'll give you an example, and I was quite shocked. James was with a group of people up at the Gold Coast, and I went for dinner with them. Not one person came over and asked for his autograph or knew him in the restaurant. Not one person. We walked down the street, no one knew him, right? And we had a drink, someone, no one knew him. And I was shocked, and I even brought that up, because in my day, if that was me, and James McDonald's is, well, oh, absolutely. he's a star. Well, he, 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 he is, is what you were at the height of yes, your career. definitely, 100%. He's outstanding, right? And I was shocked, and I brought it up with him. I said, don't you walk around Sydney and you sign autographs? He said, never. I said, what, people don't start? And he said, no. Well, when I was riding in Sydney, if I walked through Pitt Street or something, I'd sign autographs, people would stop me or whatever, always. And it's been like that in other parts of the world where you've ridden as well, obviously Hong Kong. Oh, Hong but Kong. They still know me in Hong Kong. Now I can hop in a taxi, and as soon as I hop in a taxi, the, the <laughs> My Chinese name's Dai Sing, and he gets on his phone, Dai Sing, you know, talking to someone, telling them. So 
Hong Kong is, is different. Hong Kong's different. But you were saying of all the places you rode for recognition and almost India to cricket-like obsession, Mauritius topped the lot. Oh, Mauritius was crazy. Absolutely crazy. Uh, every weekend there is like a Melbourne Cup. You know, the roads are blocked off, the people are just packed in, and they're just crazy there. Like, if I went to track work four mornings a week, I'd bet my life that twice I'd be stopped by police coming home, right, wow. wanting a tip. Um, people would chase me at lights in the car. Um, I lived in a compound right on the beach in a beautiful spot, the best spot, but I had guarded gates outside. There'd be people outside wanting tips. Incredible. Yeah, Mauritius Enjoyable time though? Mauritius saved my life, you know, like I was Why? gone. Well, my body was wrecked through the Hong Kong fall and um, I come back too soon, but I kept breaking ribs and tearing my cartilages this side. And I rode for two years, you know, in Hong Kong and I was in and out of hospital and I come back to Australia and I thought I could get going here. And I had a couple of injuries and I couldn't get going because I kept breaking my ribs. So I went to one of the best specialists in Australia and he put me through all these routines, scans, everything. And he said, your body's gone. It hasn't recovered from the fall. And I said, but that was two and a half years ago. He said, Shane, you haven't given it a chance. He said, you got osteoporosis. Yep. He said, you got arthritis here, everything. And he said, your, your, your chest, the ribs and this and that. He said, what you've got to do is some, go somewhere hot. And he said, you've got to get a lot of sun and sunbake every day for an hour or so and get the sun on your body and let the, the vitamin D or whatever it is in there, he's telling me. Because I said, should I take tablets? He said, you're too young to be taking these tablets now. He said, go somewhere hot. And he said, what you've got to do for your lungs, because I only had 32% um, capacity because I had my, after my fall, they collapsed. Yeah. And I got it back up. I went to classes to build my lungs back up. And he said, your lungs still aren't right, even though it's two years on. He said, you've got to swim every day. And I wasn't a sun person and I wasn't a beach person. That wasn't me. So I went to Mauritius, I'd go and sunbake. I went brown instead of being right. And every day I would get lost in the ocean. I'd put a snorkel on and just go and swim with these beautiful fish. And I was free, like I never had, a, I was just looking at these beautiful fish and I'd swim for at least an hour, an hour and a half a day. And I did that for over a year and I never had a problem after that. My whole body, I could feel it within a month come right. Now you've mentioned Hong Kong a little bit along yeah. the way. I think throughout your career, the major fork in the road was when, to the shock of many, you left Sydney. Yep. Right at the height of your powers. You were, you were unstoppable, you were on every good horse, you were mowing down George Moore's Group 1 record yeah. at record pace, and you were 33 years of age. Yeah. Why did you move? It was quite simple. Um, I got suspended on tie the knot for three months, and it was just wrong. I never pulled him up, I gave him a good ride. And when I got the three months, there were many jockeys trying to apply to Hong Kong and couldn't get in. And they rung me straight away and they said, we want you here in Hong Kong as soon as your time's up. And I thought about it and I said, here's a place that wants me and Sydney don't want me. The stewards don't want me because they were inquiring into a different lot of things. And I just got sick of the whole thing, simple as that. And I went through a divorce with Carla and I'd met Emma and I got hammered for that, but that wasn't the reason. The reason was the stewards. It's as simple as that. So. 
I appealed to the courts, to appeals, and they just threw it out straight away. And they said to Ray Murray, you can't charge him for that, which was evident. And Hong Kong rang me straight away, we want you. And I said, well, um, maybe next season. I'll think about it maybe next season. They rang me again after Christmas in January or February and they said, do you want to come? And um, I said, yeah. And then they rang me back and they said, we'll give you a three month license. And I said, no, I want to come for a year if I'm going to come. And they said, we're never given a jockey a year who hasn't been here. And I said, well, I won't come unless I get a year because I want to really, when I do something, I do it. There's no halfway. I don't want to put everything into three months. And they, I was actually the first jockey who had never ridden there to get a year's license. And I went there and I loved it. I loved Hong Kong. Well, Hong Kong was great and you had enormous success there. It was a roller coaster ride. Yeah. You had some nasty falls yeah. and, and you had a lot of ups and downs over there as well. But I still go back to any regrets leaving when you did though, because you were you were gonna rewrite every record in Australia. Yeah, well, you know, I would have ridden close to 200 winners, group one winners, like. Well, you were on every good horse at the time, weren't you? Best two-year-old, three-year-old, yep. eight for age horse. Yeah, I was riding a assertive lad. Um, he was a leading two-year-old. I won the size and the um, champagne stakes. So I was riding the best three-year-old. Shogun Lodge. I was riding the best way for age horse. But um, no, I definitely would have got to 200 Group 1 winners. And I was averaging over 10 a year for four years. When I left, I rode between, I think it was 14 to 10 every year. Makes sense. Uh, and you talk about the betting. Um, I won't say did it get the better of you, but did you get caught up in the betting too much at times of your life? No, not really. I, I, I actually lost a lot of money when I was betting on sports when I was riding. Uh, I was hopeless. I bet through the heart, not the head. And, and what, then, what what sort of money are we talking oh, about? Big, big. You yeah, know, I could have a six-figure sum on a on a game of sports. Oh, you yeah. Know? Um, but um, yeah, no, nah, nah, I knocked a lot of money off. But um, I grew up and got smart and different person. And I just stopped one day. Said that's it. I never had a bet for ten years on sports. I can do that. Like I've never had a drink of beer in my life. I've never had a smoke in my life. Um, I can change completely like the day I gave up riding that was it I said that's it now I've got to go on to the next stage of my life and I've never missed it once not riding because I realized it was over but it's that interests me from the point of view that you said um, you lost a lot of money punting yep. but you're now a successful punter yeah, so 100%. you didn't have to give it up you just had to I make sure you it. controlled it well no I had to get smart so when I finished riding I actually went away and hid for about three or four years and put everything on paper, you know? And I said, I've got to get this right because this is what I want to do. And I got it right, simple as that. Yeah. Back to the riding. Um, Glenn Boss tells me not only were you one of his greatest supporters when he was starting out in Sydney, but he, he says, hand on heart, never seen a greater tactical rider. And your confidence off the track was displayed by the fact that you were so willing to try different things in a race. Yeah. I may, I always believed that I was never the best jockey. I was never a gifted jockey. What I was was smarter than everyone else in a race. Can you think of a race, one standout in your mind where trying something different definitely won the race for you, a big race? Um, oh, different. Like I could miss a start on a, if I drew wide on purpose and cut across to the fence. Um, if you look at Hong Kong racing now at Happy Valley, 
they take off from back in the field. You see that all the time, you know, in 16, 1800s, the first jockey ever to do that in Hong Kong was me. No one used to take off from last and whip up and around. Um, Octagonal's an example. It's, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention the war and yeah. unbelievably it's 30 years since yeah. the Viander Cross ride yeah. and still in Australian racing, it's one of the most, it's probably the most talked about race. Now it shouldn't be, cause yeah. you know, <laughs> there's been some great moments along the way, but it is, yeah. why is that? Because one, it's me for starters. That ride there, the, the one mistake I made was I took off too soon. Here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross is coming with a great burst out wide. They sweep for home now. Gathernow on the inside. Viander Cross has come very wide after him. But going wide on the track, I was a biased jockey, right? I can pick up bias. I'm betting now, right? Mm. And my advantage over most people, computer teams, is after one race, I know the biased on a track. That was a gift I was given. Right, I don't know why, but that was a gift. I just knew where the best part of the track was. So I'd never ridden Viander Cross, but I'd watched every tape, and no horse had ever once passed him, ever, in any race. When he got beat, it was that he made his runs too late, and he couldn't pick the leader up, like naturalism in the AJC Derby when he got beat. So I got to the thousand metres when you turned into the back straight, dummy straight at Caulfield, he was gone. I was four wide back last and he was gone. And I dug him and I really pushed him. Viander across the outside has taken the lead in the cup now from Mannerism and then Gathernow and Equity. Viander across in front of Mannerism. Viander across answering the urgings of Shane Dyer head in front. Mannerism coming at him. Viander across maybe a nose to Mannerism. Going wide, I was always going to go there because that was the best part of the track. Um, I did it on octagonal on the Cox Plate. The track was off that day. The first six races, they'd just done the new track. And if you watch every race, they were winning five, six, four wide that day. And in my mind, I was never gonna go anywhere near the fence. And I stayed three deep on him. And if you have a look at the back straight at the school, which is a half mile, I pull him out 10, 12 wide and take off and get going. No one mentions that. Because you, you won. Because I won. <laughs> Mahogany rails up with Octagonal at the 200 metre marker on the outside. Octagonal. Mahogany coming at him. Stride for stride now on the Cox Plate. Mahogany, Octagonal. Octagonal, Mahogany. Octagonal's got his nose in front. Octagonal wins the Cox Plate. Did I come back in around the bend? Yes, because um, what happens at Mooney Valley is horses don't roll out, they roll in because of the camber on yeah. the track and Mahogany was inside me, and I actually wanted to get into a dogfight, so I wanted him to roll back where he was close to a horse, because then horses fight better. Yeah. Uh, but I did take off too soon, but going wide, no, definitely not. If 30 years later, that's the only thing you'd change, what, you'd, oh, you'd wait another 200 metres? I'd wait another 200 metres for sure, because I, would knew, I knew the horse then, and I'd win, I'd yeah. win. Uh, some of the great successes, um, I mean, to win four golden slippers in a row. I mean, you're in Sydney, it's the rock stars race. <coughs> Perhaps it's not as big now as it was back then because things like the Everest have come along. Yep. Um, but it was the race at the time. What, what was it like winning four in a row? You must have thought, oh, I just own this, you went Rose Hill. Well, it's actually a lot of work. I put a lot of work into it. I had times, sectionals of every two-year-old. People don't realise how far I was 
ahead of the times. Like no one was getting sectionals for two-year-olds, right, in those days, back in the early 90s. But just, I, I, I just really put a lot of work into that race. The ones you won on, like all serious horses, Corza, Canny Lad, Terse, Burst, like we're, we're not just talking one-off horses, like they're stars. Yeah, sort of Terse was the best two-year-old I ever rode. Right. Yeah, definitely. 100%. He, 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 he would measure up to any two-year-old that's ever raced in Australia. So the four slippers, the Melbourne Cup yep. on Terrific, of course, countless other really, really big wins along the way. And that octagonal uh, Ladbrokes Cox Plate win where you beat Mahogany. What was the greatest moment in Australia? I, I had so many. But when you look back, the one moment is the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. There's nothing like it. It's the race that stops the nation. It stops New Zealand. It's fantastic. So I'll go the Melbourne Cup. Go the Melbourne Cup. Love it. Few quick ones as we uh, as we draw to an yep. end. Um, the best jockey you rode against in Australia, Mick Dippman's the best. Not a, not a question. The most gifted was Jimmy Casty. Horses run for him. I think I've only ridden against four, five superstar jockeys in Australia, and they would be Damien Oliver's a superstar. Mick Dittman, Jimmy Casty, Darren Beedman, they're superstars. James McDonald I rode against, he's a superstar. Best horse you ever rode? I get asked this all. I think I rode so many. I, I never rode what I call a champion. Wow. As, yeah. Really? They're, they're all great horses. But I mean, like, Ty the Knot was a superstar. Like, I don't look at champions like other people do and put every horse in. Yeah, Winx was a champion. Mm. Frankel was a champion. But we can't put every horse in that bracket, you know? I rode superstar horses that were outstanding, like Octagonal, Tie the Knot, one of my favourite. Let's Elope I rode. You're pretty outspoken about the whip rules, aren't you? But you've nearly given up that battle no, no, in no, your no. mind. I don't care about the whip rules, right? I don't care whether you hit a horse a hundred times or you don't hit it at all. So don't get me wrong, I don't care. Whatever the goody goods want to decide, you decide. But what I'm against is jockeys breaking rules. I'm a punter, right? I'm a jockey. I'm an owner of a horse. There's nothing worse if someone beats you a nose and he's hit it more times and the stewards say, oh, but we don't know whether it would have won. If I'm a jockey now, I'm going to hit my horse more to win the You're race. You're going to break the rules. I'm going to break the rules. Yeah. Because you just got to. There's no incentive There's to do no the right thing. There's no incentive to do the right thing. Mm. The rule is just absolutely ridiculous, yeah. you know? And I'll go black and blue over it. And, and, and any punter will tell you the same. I don't care about 10 hits, no hits. Say no hits. But you can't break a rule, you know? Okay, horses get drug tested. What happens if they return a positive swab? Disqualified. But why? We don't know whether it helped the horse or not. It's just a black and white rule though, isn't it? But why is it that the whip, you can hit it more, 10 times more yeah. and keep a race? Yeah. There's no different to a whip than a drug. What's the difference? It's helping to get an advantage. So I, I don't understand it. Here we are sitting at Kelly Beach on the Gold yep. Coast. This is your life now. Is this the future? You're involved in a quite a few nightclubs up here with friends and, yep. and punting. Is that... That's pretty much the life of Shane Dye? Um, my life is gambling. It always probably was. Um, it's just that I was bad at it once and I had to rectify it, and I have. Um, I love Hong Kong racing and I bet on Hong Kong every meeting, pretty big. Um, and I've survived at it for seven years and it's got me into a very good position in life, which I was struggling at.
when I gave up writing. So I'm very lucky and I put a lot of work into it, but um, Mick Dittman's got a share in the club and Luke Dittman's got a share in this club and there's a few of us in, in these clubs up here like Surface Pavilion, White Rhino here at Kelly Beach, which is a great place and it's always busy. So yeah, I've been back here about 18 months from Macau, but I do like Macau, my lifestyle there. And it's not about gambling. I don't gamble in casinos. I just like the heat. It's 33 every day, I get left alone. I swim every day over there and it's hot and I work continuously and uh, I like that, you know? Whereas here it's a bit cold and I feel it in my body. Whereas over there I don't, my body's always good. But when it gets cold, I can feel it's not right. Chances are you're about to lose. For free and confidential support, call the number on the screen or visit the website.